User experience, product design, and web design is the career up for discussion on today's podcast. Our guest today is a specialist with over 20 years of experience in the digital industry. What I really admire about him is his goal to study how people think, behave, and feel so he can craft an effective, simple, and pleasurable client experience on each of his projects. He's the former head of UX and design at Financial Times and the current principal product designer at Not On The High Street. Some of his biggest clients range from Sony, BBC and American Express. It is my pleasure to introduce Mr. Simon Coxon on today's podcast and discuss with him the journey of his job. You are listening to The Career Show podcast that helps you find the right career and inspires you to follow your passion. My name is Trishan Kanchanjani and I'm a student seeking answers to career-based questions that we all have. I'm here to sit down with career specialists and talk to them about the lessons learned during the journey of their career. Hi Trishan, 20 years sounds like a long time. <laughs> it has, in fact. Uh, I wanted to start off by actually taking you down the memory lane. And before we dive into UX design and product design, uh, I wanted to know what was your career or dream career when you were growing up as a kid? And the reason I asked that is because when I was growing up, funny story, I wanted to become an astronaut and go to space. <laughs> but yeah. as I was growing up, my, my career dreams changed with time. And I think that's perfectly normal because that happens to a lot of people. So I think it would be just good to start off by knowing what were your career dreams when you were growing up as a kid? Yeah, I think my, my career dreams are probably in a similar vein to yours. When I was a really little kid, I wanted to be a stuntman. And, wow. uh, and because I loved films and I loved watching stuntmen in films because they were cool. They got to do cool stuff and they got to drive cars. Um, but I've always been afraid of heights um, and that doesn't really go well with being a stuntman. And I'm also a generally nervous, anxious person anyway, and don't like to get hurt. So again, the stuntman thing was never going to work out, um, which I probably worked out about the age of nine, maybe earlier. But th- the love there w- for me was always with films. I was, o- I was always drawing stuff and always making stuff. And, and I loved films. I think, I think the, the love of films kicked off with Star Wars. So many Everyone. kids... Growing up in the 70s, early 80s, it was all about Star Wars. And, and, and that's where my love for film sort of started. And it evolved from there. And then I kind of just always wanted to do something in, in film. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this creative side to me. And I, I, I ended up going to art college um, mm-hmm. and did a, did a year there. You do a, what's called a foundation course year. Mm-hmm. And I was still sort of like working out what I wanted to do and how I, how I got into it. And then did, it, did a a course in, in media at, um, at, at Cheltenham, which was like video photography and uh, graphic design. And, and that's where I was sort of trying to work my way into, into the whole film thing. That's super cool. That's super cool. So you mentioned you graduated from art college. You, did, you graduated with the major in graphic design, videography, photography. Yeah. Um, and if we dive into UX design, how did that passion develop over time? The UX design thing has been a lot longer coming. So, you know, the, film, the course I did touched on graphic design. It did a bit of graphic design. You know, we, we, were, we were the early 
pioneers is the wrong word, early users of the internet. <laughs> we were the first people in our college that had email addresses and wow. they just got the in- internet installed. Like, what's this internet thing? I've got no idea. And all we used it then for was looking for episodes of X-Files and to find out what was happening with the X- X-Files next. And we didn't really know how to use this stuff. Um, and, and then, yeah, have, I, su- I suppose moving from graphic design into UX design and web design, it's just been a long process over, over lots and lots of different steps throughout my career. Certainly mm-hmm. when, when I was at college, UX design didn't exist as a named thing. Um, right. I think it was Apple, one of the first people that started, started talking about human-centered design, probably around the time I was at college, but it hadn't filtered through to us. Um, yeah. It took a lot longer. I think it took till like the iPhone came out before people started really being aware of this stuff. So you mentioned you were the early pioneers of using internet. Uh, so fun story, I was not even born that time. So you graduated. <laughs> this is how old I am, right? Okay. <laughs> so you graduated in 1995, and you graduated during the dot com bubble. Um, well, I, I I graduated in '96, so okay. um, the dot com bu- sort of bubble, the, the the main one around 2000, 2001. I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd already gone through the stages of um, wanting to, you know, being in the film industry or trying to trying to do that. I'd I'd gone and worked at Paramount Pictures. I'd ended up in their marketing department. Um, I realized that actually I wasn't going to get to work on films and stuff, having done a bit of running uh, where, you, where you run around film sets and make tea and stuff. And then at Paramount, we had so few films to release mm-hmm. that I actually thought, right, I've got, I'm so bored. What do I do? So I spent my whole time playing with the internet. From there, I, I sort of thought, how do I, how do I learn how to use the internet? Like, mm-hmm. can I make these things? I can design stuff. Why can't I make this? How do I make this? And it was only through sort of like chatting to people on, on, on the Channel 4 chat room website and a lady who I got to meet and, and know later, a lady called Alice Taylor, who now actually works at Disney. So things, you move on, you move up, or some people yeah. do. Um, and she pointed me in the right direction uh, to these, these pages called WebMonkey, which uh, taught you how to do HTML. Mm-hmm. So I went and I made an HTML page and I sent it back to Alice and she said, oh, that's great, but I can't see the pictures because you've put a local path in. And I'm like, I don't know what a local path is, but okay, I'm, I'm learning and just carried on learning like that. So yeah, it was, it was just an evolutionary thing about, you know, those making those steps and making those, those sideways movements. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose the thread that, that links everything is, is design and, mm-hmm. and wanting to design things and make things as much as anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I, I often wonder whether, whether making websites or designing websites is making something because they're not tangible. You don't get to keep them. But um, yeah, that's, that's what it's always been. Before we move ahead, I just wanted to give a quick context of the dot-com bubble to the listeners who don't know about it. So dot-com bubble was a stock market bubble caused by exclusive speculation in internet-related companies, right? From 1995 yeah. to 2001, 2002. How is it living during that dot-com bubble? You mentioned that was one of the reasons you picked up using the internet. So how is it living during the dot-com bubble? What was happening so, around you? So, I mean, the really, the, the really interesting thing around that was, you know, from, from being at Paramount Pictures to getting a job with very little experience, all of a sudden, there was this industry which was suddenly blowing up and they didn't have enough people to, fi- to fill those roles. And with hardly any experience, I kind of knew how to build a H- page in HTML. We're talking about like Netscape 4 and Internet Explorer 5 here. Um, and I could design stuff. And I managed to land a job at a, a student website. 
and it was a place called studentuk.com and they were part owned by UCAS who were the admission system in, in the UK and it was it was like okay how do, I've done this how do I do this like and, and so I ended up learning on the job and things were already moving very very quickly then like companies companies were appearing companies were going and the, you know the company that I worked for the guy that hired me three or four months later he got moved on um he was he was really great I'm still friends with him now um and the the owners put their, twen- their then twenty year old son in charge of the company, and we said this is crazy. We we need to we need to get out. And actually, a few of us jumped ship and we went somewhere else. And uh, the, the the company we went to was a place called oh I won't give away the names, but it was we were working in Brick Lane and we were watching every, on my walk from the station to the offices. You'd see all these new companies appear with all these new logos, these fantastic new logos. It's like, oh, that's really cool. That sounds really great. And so they, over a period of like a month or two, they all appeared. All of a sudden, the area was really full and buzzing. And two months later, all these companies just started disappearing one by one, absolutely just, just dropping off the radar. And, it was, and then you were reading about them and hearing all these places. So right off college, you joined Paramount Pictures, which was a steady job with a steady flow of income. For a lot of people, it is really hard to let go of that job security. Following your passion and taking that first step towards your dream career is not an easy decision, I believe. So what made you leave Paramount Pictures to follow your dream career path? What was your motivation behind that decision? I, I, I think one of the, the key things is how little I got paid at Paramount. I didn't get paid for very well. <laughs> And I really needed to, I really needed to actually start p- pushing a career, but th- there were still opportunities within Paramount to do that. People, you know, the people saying to me, go and live in LA, go and do that. And actually I decided I didn't want to, cause I didn't want to sort of like relocate and leave, leave my, my family, my then girlfriend, my now wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, yeah, it was, it, it was weird. weird doing that. The pay was a big thing, especially we, we, we had, we had one weekend where, uh, the head of the studio came over with her husband. Her husband was uh, Billy Freakin, the film director. He directed The French Connection. He directed The Exorcist, right? So they come over to London. And they spend, the, they end up spending a few days longer and, and say, look, you know, we're gonna we're gonna spend longer in in London. Can we get a private jet instead of the our booked first class flights to the south of France? So we had to then organise this private jet just so they could stay a few extra days. And the and the facts came through with with, with the invoice. And it was a couple of grand over my salary for the year. And because wow. they decided to take, take, that, take that journey a few days later, they'd spent more than my salary. And I remember walking into my, my boss's office with this invoice and saying to him, this is more than my, my annual salary. Um, and he said, Simon, don't think about it like that. If you're thinking about it like that, you'll go fucking mad. And it was one of the best bits of advice I've ever had. You just can't compare yourself to what other people are doing, you know, the, the money that gets spent. But I, I think, you know, I think, you know, the thing that spurred me on was I had nothing to do. I was really enjoying learning about uh, the internet, designing for it. And you had this sense, you had this sense of what it could be. But I knew I knew it was going to be exciting. I knew it was different, and I liked designing things, um, mm. and and that that was a leap for me. And it was I didn't really have a career then, so 
it wasn't it wasn't a problem for me to move into into something different so you had multiple reasons to take that first step and guess what it has worked out for the best for you you're now at a job that you really like and you're really good at it now that you had taken that first step to join student uk you had entered the ux design industry but it was completely new to you you did not know what to expect from it so what was your biggest learning from the early stages of your career i, I think it was for me it was like keep keep learning keep learning so because very quickly i realized the pace of the industry that i was going into so i i started off on as i said earlier learning uh to build websites for netscape 4 and ie ie 5 and you're optimizing your site for that and back then uh the site was designed for monitors which were 640 by 40, 480 pixels um and I don't think there's a phone on the market at the moment that has that few pixels. But the, these are these tiny little screens. Um, well, well, they were big screens back then, but they had big pixels, right? So, yeah. and that's, but that's what we were designing for. And, and obviously, over the years, that's changed. And, and you know, now we're designing for huge, huge 4K retina monitors and stuff like that, and, and phones. Um, the, the, the coding language... Because I, I wasn't, you know, I was dabbling in sort of coding and, and dabbled in code for about 10 years as a sort of uh, a poor developer, really. But, I, you know, I was able to build websites. And the guys that I work with now, they're, they're, they're the proper guys. But, you know, I was able to do, build websites in HTML, JavaScript and picked up some PHP and a few coding languages as well. But again, those things are constantly evolving. You know, we were using stuff like ASP, JSP. Like nobody uses that stuff anymore, um, and it and it keeps moving on, and and that's and again that's a part of the reason why I, I stopped being a developer because I was okay at it but struggled with a lot of things doing uh, as a developer, and it's really difficult to keep up the pace of, of stuff. But I think from there I, I just learned just keep learning, keep learning the next thing, keep keep your eye on what's coming next because there's always something coming next. You know, it's mm -hmm. either phones um, or new software or bigger monitors or, you know, we don't really know what's coming next. You know, some of us have designed some stuff for watches, haven't really come through. Some people have done VR stuff. I don't think that's really going to come through. It's not going to be mass market. But there will be something that's coming next, which is going to be mass market. So certainly in the next 10 years, uh, we'll be designing stuff for cars. That will be, I think cars will probably be our next uh, big mass market place where we have to design interfaces for. Before we move to further discussing your journey, I wanted to hear your thoughts on two things. So you said that the UX design industry is a fast paced environment. So one, what advice can you give to the new generation who is looking forward to keeping up and adapting to these changes? And secondly, how did you adapt yourself and how do you still keep up with these changes in the industry? I, I think it's the, same, it's the same thing for both. It's just keep reading, keep learning, keep, keep watching things. Um, you have to keep an eye on what other people are doing. Um, you know, I read blogs on Medium. I watch stuff on YouTube. Um, I, I tend to go sort of slightly wider than just the UX stuff. I like to understand and find out about people 
and you know so I've read a few white papers in the past which really really help I've, I've had colleagues give me white papers which are just absolutely phenomenal um two two of the best strategists I've worked with uh guys called uh, John Comprido who I worked with at Karmarama and Lachlan Williams who I worked with at RGA they really you know they shared a lot of white papers and that's the stuff that that you get some absolute gold for because you're you're learning from people in a scientific way in a proper way it's not just some guy doing a bit of research with a couple of people it's this is proper research really really good strong stuff and 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 look looking again looking sideways at stuff at, at how people think i did i did some did some work a few a few years back which was uh large screen interactions so this is stuff uh, for a cruise ship and I, they actually launched um launched these cruise ships at the start of the year right this, about two weeks before lockdown so <laughs> i wonder how how well they're doing but we did these interactions and i wanted to see i wanted to find out about how people's how people's eyes worked what was the, what was the perfect area for someone to interact with on a screen and even though you have a massive massive screen by doing this research and and, and finding white papers from people like nasa you you learn about the human vision the vision of field and you learn about uh things like how people get tired when they're reaching and they're touching big screens um and you know the fatigue of oh, if i've got to reach around the page and actually you learn about actually your field of view when you're looking at something is actually really quite narrow and it kind of goes to there and, and actually you only want a, a very small box on a massive screen to interact with because you can't see the stuff that's down here because your vision doesn't accommodate it and you certainly can't see this stuff up here because your vision is kind of like this so it's 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 not just looking in the obvious places it's reading and, and learning about people and, and behavior um and and uh, you know one of the things that we get to do we don't just get to read about it we get to actually study it we get to look at people we get to as they're using our products we get to put our stuff in front of people and test it with them and, and have them tell us that it doesn't work and it's uh they, they don't like it which is great because then you get to learn and you get to uh, make stuff again exactly and remember that's what i said in my introduction right one thing i really admire about you is how you always try to study people analyze them before you go into the client project because I think that's super important for a good client experience. And coming back to your journey, you mentioned you left Student UK after it got shut down. And your next big gig in UX design was moving to agencies. And I wanted to understand how is an agency work different from a company that you're working at as a UX designer? And why did you decide to choose an agency over a company? So I, I think the reason, reason back then I wanted to get into agencies from the creative side of it. So agencies uh, tend to be hugely, wildly creative places and you, you work on stuff really uh, frequently um, and you're, 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 you're churning stuff out a lot faster. So then you have to be more creative, creative with it. Um, and I've worked with some brilliant, brilliant creatives and, and been very, very lucky to work on some really good brands and really creative brands. Um, I think over the last few years, agencies have, have started behaving more like a, a product, an in-house product, as, as uh, brands like Honda or BT that I worked with at Karma have that longer-term relationship. So you get to 
you get to do more stuff with them and improve stuff. But quite often the work that you have in agencies, because it's so fast paced, it can be, let's do this work, let's get it out the door and then you move on. And you don't get to see the benefits of what you've done. You don't get to test as readily. There's, there's generally less of a desire from agencies to actually invest in the research and the testing. And that's our, as user experience people and product designers, that's our bread and butter. Our designs are nothing unless we've tested it with people. Um, because otherwise our designs are opinion and we've kind of designed it for us and we've kind of designed it for maybe some stakeholders, but actually the most important people are the people that are going to use it. And, and by putting it in front of them and seeing how it works, that's, that's the key thing. That's one of the big differences between an agency and uh, working for a company like the FT, for example. One of the great things about agencies is that you get this hyper, hyper, hyper creative environment, sometimes crazy environments, you know, so Karmarama was a great place to work at. We had, um, you know, in the agency, we had a sweet shop, we had a gun vending machine, we had llamas and motorbikes everywhere, uh, lots of neon lights and stuff. So what suggestion would you give someone who's entering the UX design industry? Would you suggest them to start off with an agency before joining a company? Will that be more beneficial for a new starter? I, I, I think for UX, I think it's good to get good habits. If you can get into working for a company, um, and it's, it, it can't just be any company, what you want is a company that is dedicated to research, dedicated to speaking to customers. Uh, hopefully you can get to a brand that's got really good relationships with their customers or their customers want to talk to you a lot. And that's the best environment to be in. Uh, I think the worst environment to be in if you're a UX designer is, is somewhere where you're just doing visual designs and you don't have um, that contact with, with the people that are using your product. What I would say is try both. See, see what, what's, what suits you. I think a lot of people that I've worked with tend to be more uh, user experience focused or some people tend to be uh, visual design focused. Find, find what works for you. Find what, find what you love. Find what you're comfortable with. Um, and don't be afraid to move as well. I've moved quite a lot in my career, sometimes at the right time, sometimes at the wrong times. Um, but ultimately, it's about getting your own satisfaction in, in what you want to do. And um, you, don't have to, you don't necessarily have to sit in one job for three or four years or five years to do that. And I think what, the, what I've benefited from as well by moving quite a lot is I've learned from lots and lots of different people. I've learned how not to do it. And I've learned from so many clever people um, how to do it. Um, and I've also got it wrong in places. And I've got to then sort of like look back and realize what I've, what I've got wrong and maybe relationships, maybe the work that I've done and, and, and move, move it forward and, and, and improve. And I think that's one of the other benefits of, of moving, moving fairly regularly. You, you, get to, you get a bigger idea of how the world works and how the world operates, and you get to learn from loads of, loads of different people. So like you said, you moved around a lot in your career. The opportunity to expand your thinking and grow your thinking is one of the reasons you said that you moved a lot. 
One reason that I believe that people move a lot is because they face redundancy in the work they're doing. So when you're working at a company and you're working on one product for so many months as a UX designer, do you believe that work can get redundant? Also, when you're working at an agency and you're working with similar clients one after the other, do you believe that that can hinder the opportunity to grow? And that is one of the reasons that you moved around a lot. I think yeah, people, people move for a lot of reasons. People move because the work gets stale or they don't have any autonomy. I think one of the big problems that we have in our industry and, and particularly my field is um, people feeling like they've got a sense of ownership on the work. I think depending on who you're working with, some places can be very prescriptive. Um, some places you have stakeholders who are telling you how to do work all the time um, and they're not listening to their users and that becomes really frustrating really, really quickly. And, and people don't stay long at places like that because ultimately what you end up doing is you're, you're just a, uh, someone that works in a factory. So what you, what's, what's really important is just to find the right um, right place for you that 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 feels feels like you're you're doing worthwhile work um i don't, i think what as long as you feel as if you're, you're creating stuff and delivering stuff and it's getting made then then that's going to be really fulfilling but if if you're designing stuff and someone it's not being built or, or ever made um that can be really really disappointing as well because a lot of, you know designers live off their portfolios realistically once once they've done a certain amount of time at one place they need to be able to move on and if the place that they're at isn't fulfilling that need of portfolio then you know you, you soon hear people start talking and telling you you know i need i need better work and i need to I need to move to do better work and be more fulfilling but sometimes it, it, it you know it can be it can be other other reasons as well you know one of the places i worked at i was the most proud of for getting the job there was a, a company called RGA and um, you know, they were consistently voted one of the most innovative, one of the most intelligent uh, design agencies in, in the world. And, and they had a hugely uh, brilliant reputation and the people I worked with there were among the best I've ever worked with. They were fiercely intelligent. I learned so much, but I got burnt out really, really quickly there because their, their focus was very much on, uh, churning work out as quickly as possible and um, they worked people really really hard and I was working silly hours I, I traveling I traveled uh, to and from San Francisco and, and ended up getting burnt out and it was very quickly into my career there that I realized that place was not right for me it was going to be a really unhealthy place for me to be and I quit that job within six months and it was a really it was such a hard decision it was it was a gut-wrenching decision because I felt like I'd failed. Um, I was kind of realizing then that I didn't want to work in agencies anymore. I wanted to work in products. Again, uh, before we move on to your company side and product design side of your journey, you mentioned about your portfolio and how a portfolio is so important for every UX designer. And you have your own portfolio at snoh.co.uk for anyone yeah. who wants to check Simon's portfolio. <laughs> you mentioned about your UX design method and strategy. You mentioned about, you have three steps, right? Planning, discovery, and delivery. 
Do you want to speak a little about that for all the listeners out there who are building their own portfolio currently and maybe give them an idea of how they can build or start building their portfolio with the help of your method? Yeah, so I think with, with portfolios, having, uh, yeah, I interviewed a lot of people at the FT earlier on in the year. Um, one, one of the key things in portfolio is just like, keep it simple. Don't try and have 12 projects in your portfolio because I'm only ever going to look at three. Um, and so you kind of want me to feel as if I've got choice as a hiring manager looking at your stuff. So maybe you want four or five, but you can't have anything in there that's um, too old or, and I'm probably guilty of this anyway, but stuff, stuff that isn't of, of, of the best quality. You want those things to be absolutely spot on quality. And that's the risk that you take. If you've got 12 projects there and you, you're saying, oh, look, I've done all this work. I'm, I'm probably going to pick one of your, your most recent projects, maybe the third one, and then maybe the, the ninth or the 11th one because they look nice. And that's, that's where people fall down a lot of the time with their portfolios because it's, it's too easy to find stuff that um, makes uh, and undermines their, their current skills because they're showing the old work. Um, with, with portfolios, it's really important to talk about the process. Like any, any UX hiring manager, product design hiring manager wants to know how you got there. What are the methods that you applied? This is why I've got a thing on my site that talks about the methods. This is why, uh, as a manager, I was really intent on making sure that everybody had, uh, was learning the methods so that they could apply those to create the, the right work. Um, I'm really, really uh, big on doing good workshops because if you facilitate a really good workshop, you get really good thinking out the back of it. And so creating those thing, frameworks to create those, um, get those outputs is really important. And so showing those methods that you use as, as designer in, in your portfolio is, is really key to this. One of the difficulties that we have at the moment in the industry is finding good young talent that can think for themselves because a lot of people go on courses and I won't mention the names of the companies, but they are, they, they run short courses and they do good teaching. But what you end up with is a bunch of, uh, and, and they teach people how to do their portfolios, but you end up with these identikit portfolios. And I can tell you, uh, I can look at a portfolio and say they, they went to on one of these courses because it's the same as the other 10 people that I looked at and there's nothing unique about them. There's nothing that's making them stand out. So you kind of want to look at, you don't just necessarily take for gospel what these companies are telling you and, and saying, Oh, you have to do this method. You have to do this. Think for yourself. Think about um, what might be a better way of doing it or a different way of doing it. If you, if you're doing something quite often, I'll, I'll you know, I'll do these, these, tried and tested best practice methods. And I hate the term best practice, by the way, because um, there's only good practice of what you're doing now. Best practice quickly becomes dated because of how quickly our, our, our uh, industry moves. But you, what you want to do is take those things. And if, if something feels wrong when you're doing it, it, do, or it doesn't feel as if it's fulfilling the need of what you're trying to achieve, change it, do something different, change, change the stuff that you're working with. And, and do your own spin on it. But verify that with somebody else. 
show somebody else that. Is that a good idea? What do you think of this? They, those are the most important tools. Don't just go along uh, thinking that you've come up with the best idea ever or you're brilliant. Show somebody else and be vulnerable. I, I talk about vulnerability a lot to the designers I work with and say, you know, be vulnerable, show your work, share it, get feedback and, and do the same with, with your, your work. Do the same with your portfolios. Coming back to the journey of your job, after working at various agencies, you moved to work for a company and focused solely on one product at a time. Now I know moving from one place to another can be really tough and hard because I've been doing that every year when I move from one place to another to study. So how did you adapt to such a big change in your work life? And what was your biggest learning from working at a company? So I, I, it was weird. So I, realistically, like the, my, my first ever job, web job, that, that was a product, but nobody ever talked about it being a product back then. There was a lot of words that didn't get used back then. Sort of like, you know, people didn't use words of user experience. I was just a graphic designer doing web design and, and stuff like that. So all of these terms have evolved. Um, I think it was, it was quite strange to me work having spent my days working on maybe four different brands in a week. Like one week, uh, my previous agency, I was working on stuff at EE, Virgin Voyages, um, a, an, an app for uh, Universal, uh, NBC Universal, and uh, you know, other things, maybe, maybe three or four different things a week. And then to be working on one thing or, or one part of a, a, a product, it meant slowing down it meant really slowing down all of my thinking and actually uh, you know that's i think that's one of the things that's hardest to get used to is the the, the pace it tends to be much more analytical uh, on a product you're you're looking at quite literally figuratively right so where you're looking at a lot more data these companies particularly the ft are looking at all of the data um, of people using their products and and then that's coming back to us and we were able to utilize that in our design. That's something I really wasn't used to. The only, the only feedback I ever got really uh, working in agencies was we'd do surveys and occasionally we'd do um, have discussions with users. Um, but all of a sudden we, we, we got, I had all this data coming to, to me. And the other thing was I really got to sit down and speak to users. And that, I think that was the biggest epiphany for me was the, the moments when I really got to sit down with users. I'd done a bit of it in the past, sporadically here and there, um, but those tended to be on products we didn't really know much about and we moved on from quickly because that was the nature of agencies. But when you're working on the thing that you're interviewing, uh, you're working for that company and you're interviewing those people, and you get such rich feedback from your customers and it's even even the bad feedback is so valuable and so great and you'd be sat in on those sessions talking to people and someone would be slating your designs and you're loving every moment of it because you're getting feedback and and because you're working then working out how to make your next design you're sort of sitting there working out as as they're throwing this feedback at you and, and yeah that was that was the biggest difference you've got the you've got the pace but then you've got the the feed those feedback loops as well no, I completely agree with you because if there is anything that I've learned out of my life is that bad feedback, failure is one of your biggest teachers in life. 
compared to your success, which is also a teacher, but that's a lousy teacher, I believe. Yeah, I think fa failure is, there's got to be a better word for it. Failure is seen as such a, uh, failure should be only re reduced for the, the, like the worst cases. If someone gets something wrong and someone dies, that's failure. Like that's because that's bad. Any any other time, it's just learning. Um, you're just learning from stuff. I I didn't get it right. I learned. I moved on. I improved. I improved my work. I improved who I was. Um, I I I learned something new about the world. And that that's that's all it is. It's it's it's, it's failure doesn't really exist unless someone there's something fatal, which there rarely is when you're in an office. Mm -hmm. So one soft skill that everyone keeps talking about is collaboration, team spirit, unity. So I wanted to understand how does collaboration play a role in the UX industry and what is the importance of collaboration in this field? Yeah, 100%. Um, the people, I've worked with some supremely talented designers who um, have gone off and, and done their own thing. And then they come back a week later and they go, ta-da. And everybody says, what have you made? Because they've worked on this perfect thing and they haven't involved other people in that. And um, then they get this ta-da moment where, where, and I've done it, we've all done it. And, um, but you, you get this sense of, oh no, I've, I've got it wrong. And you've wasted all this time and you feel this terrible sense of self-worth self like disappearing. But, the, uh, the alternative to that is sharing your work really frequently. I always talk about constant communication and collaboration. If you're constantly talking to people uh, and constantly collaborating about what you're making, then you're going to have this better alignment um, about what you're making. One, one of the biggest problems of any company is communication and alignment. And they're kind of the same thing. If you communicate more, you're going to be more aligned. Uh, if you collaborate more, you're going to be more aligned. Um, and so th those, those things are absolutely key to designing stuff. It's not just about you. you, you don't you're not fashioning the perfect design. You're not an artist. You're a, you're a facilitator. So early on in the podcast, you spoke about designing car interfaces in the future. You mentioned that it has the possibility to become a mass market product. Why do you think so? But also, what are the growth opportunities within the UX and product design industry? Where do you see it going? I think the industry is, is, will, is growing still and continuing to grow. And I always ask myself the question, am I still in the right place? Is this going to keep growing? And at the moment, yes. And even more so over the last few months as so many services transferred to a digital domain, then yeah, hopefully it's, it's going to continue being that industry. Um, the digital um, places that we work in, the interfaces, I, I suppose not just interfaces, but any, any, anything digital, it, um, it's, it's just going to follow where people are going to be. Um, and I think the expectation certainly of, of companies like Google and Apple and, and uh, obviously Uber, which is why Uber are investing so much money in the car sharing service. It's not about the car sharing service. It's about uh, autonomous vehicles. This is what it's all about because that's where people are going to be. And imagine you've got to imagine a world where 
uh, people don't have to drive cars and they don't have a car that's, that's driving them. So what are they going to do in the car? Well, they, there's going to be interfaces. It's an opportunity for entertainment. It's an opportunity to be working. Um, it's an opportunity for communication between other people. That's all going to require an interface. That might require a subscription. That's probably where it will be with Apple and Google and whether you subscribe to a service or whether you, you have a car which you get into and it recognizes who you are and then it knows that you've already got a service because it doesn't and you don't need to sign in anything because it's identified you anyway by your face or your voice. And then you can start having your calls. I feel that's where, that's where our world is going. And that could happen a lot quicker than people think because the investment that's going into it right now through uh, people like Google and Apple is, is yeah, I think it'd be a while before any of those products surface, but a lot of that thinking is already happening. You can see that big, big smile on my face because I'm so excited by hearing that. But I can only imagine the fact that you could be working on designing these interfaces, how excited you would be. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like there's, uh, that's I, I'm looking at like thinking about the longevity of my career now. I'm thinking of how much longer I want to work for, fifteen twenty years, and I, will I be working on those? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, hope so. I think I will. I think next five, five, next five to ten years, that's all going to happen. But since we spoke about the growth opportunities, I also want to touch on the challenges within the UX design industry. What do you think these big challenges are and how can someone deal with these challenges efficiently? I think one of the challenges that's really uh, surrounding the whole industry is data and use, use of, of personal data. I, I think that there's still a lot of um, debate still going on and still very much needs to happen about how what people's personal data is. I think there needs to be I do think things need to be tougher. I think it's too easy to take what we know about people and infer them and then use that to manipulate people. Um, I think you just have, need to look at the amount of information that somewhere like Instagram might know about you just from liking pictures and the stuff that they can infer from you about liking something and then building up this big picture of who you are and then selling it. Uh, and that reflects on trust and what we do. So I think one of the big conversations that, that is going to take place over the next few years will be around trust and around ethics in design. Um, one, of the, one of the things that we keep talking about and, and need to talk about more is accessibility in design, designing for everybody um, and, and starting uh, design conversations with accessibility in mind. And it'd be great if we don't even think about it. I think we need to be designing uh, cross-culturally as well and, uh, you know, across different, um, different ethnicities. You know, you, you see um, that certain voice assistants don't work with certain accents. Um, facial recognition uh, doesn't work with certain skin colours. It's those things. It's, it's designing for everybody rather than just designing for yourself and and it's too easy to just design for yourself um like when you're just sat in your room by yourself as everybody probably is at the moment <laughs> everybody just needs to start thinking a bit more a bit wider 
um, and caring about everybody in design. Something that just came in my mind when you mentioned that people are sitting at home is that people have been doing a lot of freelancing work, especially when they're sitting at home idle. Have you ever done any freelancing work ever? And secondly, what advice can you give someone who is selecting projects and negotiating with their clients about the kind of product they want to make during these freelance projects? Yeah, I've, I've done a couple of short periods of freelancing. Um, I have to say it wasn't for me. I kind of like the security of a, a permanent job, particularly, I think it served me particularly well right now. Um, I think one of the difficulties I found with, with doing freelance work was um, like, particularly when you're doing work for people that you know, uh, it's having those boundaries, setting expectations of what you're going to be doing, what you're not going to be doing. It's the sort of things that with a client, a big client, you, you'd have a scope of work. And I remember spending a long time uh, with one of my old colleagues um, writing scopes of work so that we were saying, this is what we're doing, this is what we're not doing, so that ex- expectations were met. Um, and it's, it's, it's boundary setting. And that's really, really, really important whenever you're engaging any type of contract work like that or freelance work like that. It's knowing what you are doing and what you aren't doing. That's great. And if I had to conclude this podcast, I think there's only one question that I can ask you to conclude the podcast. And that is, back in your days, you said you were just starting off. The industry was just picking up. So there was no one to give you advice. But since you've been in the industry for 20 years, what is one advice that you wish you had received when you were starting off in the UX industry? That's a difficult one. I, I, I think for me, Gary, moving from graphic design in, in, in or sort of like web, web design into, into UX, I think it's just like be a bit, a bit uh, more fearless in, in doing it. Just, just jump at it and, and learn harder. I think, I think always do learn as much as possible. Like saturate yourself with the stuff that you're learning. And then apply that in your job, um, and and sometimes you have to force that into your into the work you're doing. And I have done that. I I I particularly remember uh, I wanted to do more sort of like UX thinking. I was working for on a job for the BBC um, when I was at an agency, and I wanted to do wireframes. And I said to my boss, I think this is a really good way of uh, communicating stuff much much faster. I've been reading about wireframes. I want to just do this. And he was like, yeah, yeah, go for it. And they loved it. They loved, and they actually fed back to us. It was like, this is a much better way of working. We don't need to see finished designs. We just need to see ideas. So yeah, maybe for, force, force your thinking into, or not your thinking, for, force those, those little bits of, of work in where you can to gain the experience so that you can then use it again next time, next time round. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think just be, just be fearless. Uh, but yeah, just ask, ask lots of questions. I think the, the main reason that I was able to sort of like make that leap from being in a film company, sat there doing nothing whilst no films were being released um, internationally was because I asked somebody, because I, I just went and tried. And I asked somebody, so how do I do this? And someone was really kind enough um, to point me in the right direction. Alice Taylor, thank you, and uh, I'm still in your debt. 
hopefully I'll come to America and see you again sometime and uh, repay that debt somehow. I'll buy you a slushy or something. I think that's a great note to end on. I think we've learned a lot today and it's so important to go out there and ask questions because the worst that can happen is you get a no. But for all you know, it can change your life forever. So on that note, thank you so much, Simon, for being on the show today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for giving us your time and your thoughts and your experiences. It's been lovely discussing the journey of your job. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a bit of a blast from the past. It's uh, certainly cleaned out the cobwebs. Join me next week to discuss the journey of a dancer. Until then, don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Also follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn for some exciting content throughout the week.